You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Folks, and welcome to episode 82 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for July 2020. Well, it is not a solo show this month. I had a special guest who was kind enough to sit down with me for a Skype interview earlier today, as it happens. And this is the next installment of my sort of ongoing series within a series where I invite photographers on to evangelize the work of another photographer of their choosing. Um, so our guest is Doug Kay, who describes himself now as being a full-time amateur photographer, which I think is a wonderful way to describe yourself. Um, and Doug chose to evangelise the work of photographer David Burnett. Um, I didn't know I knew David Burnett, but I did, because he recently got a little bit of internet fame for being the guy at the Trump impeachment hearings shooting pictures in the Senate hearing room using a vintage camera. Um, Turns out it's quite a special camera. We talk about the camera in great detail. Um, And the photographs that David takes are really, they really are something else. Um, They don't, they defy classification. Unfortunately, as well as telling you how thankful I am that Doug was so giving of his time, Doug also had to be a little bit forgiving of... A lot of faffing around before we started the recording because my computer has developed some audio issues and they are stubbornly refusing to go away no matter how many times I reboot, no matter how much I change around and simplify my software. Something in my computer is looping audio intermittently. Um, It's audio I receive. And we absolutely did our best. I simplified my setup absolutely as much as I could. Could not fix it. It's very intermittent, um, so I decided that the interview is simply too good not to do. But every now and then you will hear it sound as if Doug is repeating himself. Doug is not repeating himself. My computer is repeating Doug. Um, It's extremely annoying, and I really, really, really wish I could de-gremlin my computer. But I haven't succeeded, and if anyone recognises the sound and knows what causes it, I... I'm open to any suggestions whatsoever. Um, I've tried absolutely everything I can think of. Anyway, I need to apologise for the fact that there are occasional intermittent audio hiccups in this recording. Um, at all times, you can understand what Doug is saying, and as I say, the audio problems are intermittent, so I sort of made the judgement that the content far outweighed the imperfections of the audio uh, so please forgive those imperfections they are not a reflection on Doug it is entirely on my end um, and uh, I hope you enjoy it regardless Hi Doug and welcome to Let's Talk Photography um, this is your first time on the show so maybe we should start by letting the listeners know who you are you gave me a wonderful line when I asked you how you'd like to introduce you said you're a full-time Amateur photographer. Um, that's, that's what I go by. That's what that's what I tell the, the U.S. government for tax purposes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nowadays there's this horrible connotation that amateur is somehow the antonym of professional. But of course, I, I'm assuming you use the word because you know it comes from the French root amour, which means something you do for the love instead of for the money. Yeah, I, I, that's that's part of it. It's all. It's also to uh, take the pressure off. If someone looks at my images and, and doesn't think they're great, I say, well, I'm just an amateur, so it's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have to be held to quite as high a standard by using that terminology. That's a certain way to look at it. Um, yeah. I, I need to mention to the listeners that every now and then I'm getting a weird audio glitch because they will have just heard you apparently repeat yourself, which you didn't do. Um, and I have spent quite some time trying to track this gremlin down it is somewhere in my computer not in yours because it affects my recording with Alison as well and it wasn't there two weeks ago and it's here now um hopefully it doesn't happen too often so this is part of our series where we 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 ask one photographer to evangelize another 
So you have chosen a photographer called David Burnett. So mm-hmm. can we put him into some context? Yeah, David is um, David is a you know, world class photographer, uh, journalist. Um, he's you know he's almost my age. I guess David's probably sixty nine years old or so, seventy years old. We're both getting up there, but. Um, David has been doing photojournalism for many, many decades. Um, you go back to uh, the 60s, the 70s. David's been on top of so many major political stories, sports stories, uh, and so forth. And uh, just an incredible body of work. Yeah. So uh, the link will be in the show notes at let's-talk.ie. But it's davidburnett.com. There's two T's on the end. And... I mean, even just looking at the titles of his galleries, like we have Apollo 11, D-Day, World War One, it's The Presidents, which is uh, very intriguing. We had uh, Pete Souza was one of the photographers picked, was obviously um, the wonderful photographs of Obama, but this is this goes back a little further. Um, actually, some nice... Nice pictures of a young-looking George Bush before, or George W. Bush before the office turned him grey. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and a young Barack Obama, uh, Senator Obama, on his campaign. Thank goodness me, they look so much younger before they take on that job. Isn't that true? It doesn't take long for them to age. It's, that's absolutely true. And you know, Burnett goes way back to uh, Ronald Reagan days, uh, and he's photographed all the presidents and major politicians. Um, Kennedy uh, back from then. So he's he's done a lot. Yeah, he's got some Kennedy shots too. I mean, he's. He's he's been everywhere, and Nixon, actually, he's quite mm-hmm. a he's quite an iconic Nixon, actually. Um, yeah. So, and you're saying he's a, so his his profession was journalism, which I guess explains his very very straight style most of the time. That from what I'm seeing here. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, some of his earlier work. If you look at his website, you'll see, um, for example, he did a whole story about Bob Marley. Um, and he actually went and spent, I think, something like two years on and off living with Bob Marley uh, and documenting Marley's life. Uh, so that's a rather substantial undertaking and a, and a big body of work there. Um, the stories that he has to tell are just phenomenal. In fact, I've asked David to speak at our local photo club's uh, education night meeting in September, and he'll be doing that. Um, but he's got, you know, all the major world leaders. Um, he's covered Olympics, uh, for many years. Um, he did, as you mentioned, he's done a, a very thorough coverage of the launch of Apollo 11 and everything surrounding the Apollo 11 stuff. Uh, in fact, he just had a major retrospective, uh, Washington post, one of the major papers here in the U S actually did a multi-page spread in the newspaper featuring David's uh, photographs. He was actually sent out by them to photograph the uh, Apollo 11 astronauts uh, as they are today, uh, oh. you know, those who were still alive. So it was quite a major a major story because it was the anniversary of that. Yeah, that was this, this just not long ago at all, actually, indeed. Um, the yeah. Seven, I presume 75 years, can't be 100. Right. No, can't no. be 50. I think it's... <laughs> Oh, it's more than 50, yeah. That's, that's a 68, that was 50 years ago in 69. Last year was 50 years. Yeah, okay, so it yeah, is. last year was 50 years. Yeah. That's, that's far too long that we haven't been back. It's far too long. Yeah. What, what strikes me, so the Bob Marley Gallery is, is a very fun one to scroll through, but it's very unusual to come across a photographer who's approximately 50-50 colour in black and white. Well, yeah. D- Dave is unusual. Um, he, well... Aren't we all? But <laughs> no, but D- D- David is uh, one of the reasons I love his stuff is that he's really into experimenting. He will shoot. He shoots a lot of film still. He shoots 35 millimeter film. He shoots four by five film. He shoots on, um, uh, uh, you know, lumograph uh, stuff. He does, you know, really. Oh, and then he, I, I have to tell you, he got me started on my newest camera. My my newest okay. camera is inspired by him. It's a custom-made camera by a guy in Florida. It's called an Aero Liberator. That's that's the name. That, the <laughs> that guy sounds does. like what an airplane. Does, that doesn't sound like a it, camera. Well, it, 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 it does. What he does is he takes the bodies from an old Graflex. These Graflexes yeah. are from the early 1940s. 
and he strips them and refinishes them and fixes the shutters and the bellows and all that. But then he mounts on the front a lens called an Aero Ektar. An Aero Ektar is a 178 millimeter f2.5 lens, but imagine that it's it's big enough to cover at least a four by five piece of film. Actually, huh. you can go you can go to eight by ten, I think, with this without if you don't tilt it or shift it. Yeah, and so. It's an it's a lens from an old reconnaissance plane from World War II. It was used for aerial reconnaissance, and it's made of thorium glass. The glass is radioactive. Oh, lovely! And it is it is just a spectacular lens, particularly for portraits, because the the bokeh, the out of focus portion of the lens, is just glorious. Um, I'll think you can look at this, and people who are listening camera can too. If you go to David's stuff, and you look at big camera, you yes, should I see saw that gallery there. Now, oh, most of the stuff under big gallery was shot with an Aero Ektar, either on the Aero Liberator or on um, mounted on a speed graphic four by five. Anyway, they thanks have to a David. Very distinctive I know. Look I now have one of these. Yeah, they're just they're just gorgeous. Great, great portrait. So anyway, the Aero Ektar. Um, I think the guy who makes them, John Minix, has probably made maybe 50 of them or 60 of them over the year, many years. And uh, I'm lucky enough, lucky enough to have one now. And I just love the camera. Yeah. I, it's, it's very interesting. I, I presume I'm looking through this gallery and some of them have spectacularly shallow depths of field. I'm assuming there's tilting and shifting going on as well as just this unusual lens. Yeah. Yeah. He does that. I mean, if you, I'm looking at one here, for example the Virginia Tech marching band. And that's definitely uh, been tilted or shifted or both hard to tell which. Um, but anyway, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big lens. Uh, the camera with lens weighs nine and a half pounds. And um, um, yeah, it's a monster. I mean, think of it. 178, 178 millimeter F2.5. Now that doesn't sound too crazy for our DSLRs today, but then imagine that the lens has to be big enough to shoot a four by five frame or an eight by ten frame, and you realize it's a monster lens. Yeah, and when you say it, it was used for spycraft, that sort of tells yep. me everything I need to know. It was designed to be mounted on the bottom of a large airplane, as opposed to carried around. <laughs> right. Um, I also notice he has a gallery uh, called Holga Eye. Um, so I'm yep. guessing that means he's shooting with the the Holga lenses or he shoots, cameras. He, or... he shoots Holga cameras. He's got a couple of those, a bunch of those. He shoots with them. I mean, here's a guy who goes, well, here's a famous thing. So here in the U.S., you know, we had our indictment, or sorry, impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump. Mm. And during the trial, there were a number of witnesses. And of course, the witnesses come into the the room with all the senators and all this stuff. And um, before they start the procedure, the photographers all get to, you know, get pictures of the witness and pictures of the senators. And then they kick them out of the room or kick them out of the way, at least. Anyway. Yeah. So Burnett's there with his Aero Liberator. He's got this big ass four by five sheet film camera, which is, by the way, it's also handheld. So it's got a big strap. Anyway, he's got such seniority that most of the other photographers just get out of his way. And and you'll see pictures of David photographing the witnesses with his four by five sheet film camera. And the other photographers are all taking pictures of him. Because he is the story as much as he's he's the story, right? Or he'll go to the Olympics and he'll set up for you know the hundred meter dash, and he'll he because he's been doing it for years, he sort of gets his first pick of positions, and he'll go and he'll set up his camera at the finish line, um, and you know you only no matter whether you're shooting digital or film, you really only get one shot unless you're doing an incredibly fast burst of the finish line. Yeah. And, you know, he'll shoot four by five film at the finish line. He'll just, he'll risk it. Uh, he'll also carry with him a bunch of, you know, DSLR cameras or things like that. But he'll he'll try all sorts of crazy stuff. And that's one of the reasons I love his work, because he's fearless when it comes to experimentation. Yeah, it's... it's um, normally, you can sort of put a photographer in some sort of category, but... I I can't, uh, you know, I'm scrolling through a gallery to gallery here and the shots are as different from each other as you could possibly imagine. Um, I'm currently in the one from the Bonneville Salt Flats on the salt. Uh -huh. um, yep. And there's, there's one shot here of, of one of these 
super speedy cars. And I am having the hardest time figuring out whether it's a tilt shift of a car speeding at hundreds of miles an hour or whether it's a pan blur. I don't think it is a pan. I think it is actually a tilt shift on something moving at hundreds of miles an hour, which that takes a bit of courage, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just... Yeah, like I say, he'll try all sorts of stuff. But because of that, he gets just some spectacular images. Uh, I'm trying to get to the – which one is it in here? I'll just go take a look at it. Not, yeah, to, so not to bore our audience the second one. It's So it's the it's – it's near the end of the – if you scroll to the end, it's about the – let me see. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The tenth in from the end, I think. It's just this black car with the two parachutes out the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think it's a pandler. I I think it is, but who's who knows? Who knows? I think it is. Yeah, I, whatever he's done, it's it's quite arresting. And of course, yeah. you know, black inky black car on snow white salt flats. Um, right. But then you know he has portraits of the you know lunatics. I'm not quite sure what you'd call them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And or take a look. I mean, if you want to look at some great stuff, just look at his Olympic stuff. I think it might be under sport. Let's see what's under sport. Um, when a, the, if anything, we're encouraging our listeners to go take a look at some of these things. I think you have um, to. I mean, I don't know how I could describe these these photographs. They are so varied. That. Yeah. Get rid of that. Hopefully you can get that. Out. Anyway, hey, go away. <laughs> Actually, the tilt. Okay, so the very first one in the sports is a tilt shift on the baseball. So immediately, it looks like little models playing baseball, yeah. which I, I love that effect. But you'll see, he's got some great ones of ski jumpers. Um, one of my favorites. I'm not going to take the time to find it in here, but was a an actually. He, I mean, he'll try everything. He's got an infrared camera, so he's got an infrared photo of I think it's either the Swedish or the Danish synchronized swimming team. If you happen to come across that, and it is a spectacular picture, it's one of my favorite Burnett pictures, and um, uh, I like it because first of all, he's shooting these women. They're all it's from behind. They're not even facing him. They're they're looking at the pool. They're sort of shivering in their bathing suits, uh, but it's just gorgeous uh, photography, he, and um, so a, many great things. He has one here of of a diver going backwards off the diving board. Now, yeah, I'm looking at that one right now. How, how? <laughs> can he I think fly? He's on, the, he's on the upper platform, I assume. Ah. Or maybe not. Maybe maybe he's up in the rafters. I don't know. I mean, what a what a bizarre point of view. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, well, how often did he had he had a very famous picture years ago? He was at the Olympics, and it was um, one of the women's running events. I think it was a, a 440 or or something like 400 meter or 800 meter or something like that. And I can't remember her name. I wish I could. But a, a very famous American female runner was running. And as they're coming around the last turn towards the finish line, she's tripped. And she falls. And she's in agony. And David decided not to be part of the crowd near the finish line. So he had walked back up to that position and was literally right across the track to shoot her. And it became the iconic image of that day of the Olympics. And to this day, it's an extremely popular image. Um, But again, because he decided he wasn't going to fight the crowd at the finish line, he was going to work his way back up the course. So yeah, back up the track. Um, you know, you 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 got to go places. You got to do things, but you've got to be ready. That's the main thing. So you just got to be ready. So th- I I'm I'm fascinated because so you're saying this guy's job is to be a reporter. The, well, most of the photographs on his website he's are a, he's a photo photojournalist. He's not a writer. Right. Sorry, yes, no. photojournalist. But yeah. I just can't uh, an awful lot of these shots. I just can't imagine being on the, the you know, on a news in a newspaper. So does he shoot like normal stuff, and then he goes, he has fun when he's not doing that, or does he just always yeah. shoot with no, this he, very quirky style? He, he, he shoots some of the more traditional things, and he sells those to various publications. But a lot of them are buying these things too. They they look extreme, but some of them are just so spectacular that they end up being published um, because they're they're beautiful images and they tell great stories. So he actually manages to sell these very, very eccentric, shall we say, well, eccentric, imaginative, creative 
So so many words. Um, he can sell those to straight-laced newspapers. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look, take a look at another one of his galleries, for example. Um, look at the Pyongyang uh, 2018 Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. Pyongyang. And you'll see, I think in there, you'll see some more traditional images. But again, there's one here I'm looking at of the um, uh, speed skating with a lot of blur in it. Um, the, uh, the opening... you'll see more, more, more and more of these, I think you'd agree are, are, are more traditional photographs. They are, but they still have a certain spark to them, I guess, because he's doing his, his strange stuff in camera rather than in post, I guess it still counts as journalistic. He's not going to get in trouble for altering his images because he's doing it all in camera. Right. But the, the the very first shot on that, um, in that gallery, the, the Pyeongchang 2018 Winter Games... It's the ice is it's obviously late in the day. The ice has been fairly hammered at by the uh, skaters, <laughs> and it looks to me like those diagrams you get from the early particle colliders. Yeah, it does. It has little scatter patterns all over. Yeah, the place. I, it's yeah. absolutely amazing. I, I presume the contrast has been cranked up through some mechanism because. Uh, like, uh, I know. I know. David doesn't do much post processing. Um, he he does some obviously, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I love that shot too. Yeah, it's it's so it's so arresting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this people, is people who, people who are listening to us are just going to have to go to do his website and and try and find some of these things. Well, the, right. So the hope of these shows is that people are inspired to go learn about this guy. So I, you've certainly opened my eyes because I. I kind of like to go into these recordings without looking in advance so that I get to, to sort of be the, the proxy for the listeners. And I am learning so much about this chap. I, how, yeah, how... Go, go, look at, go look at the last one from the Pyongyang Olympics. You'll see that it's just, I mean, just, you know, just not the shot that most people are going to get. <laughs> <laughs> I love the caption he's given this. Yeah, the race is definitely over and there are these two Obviously, cross-country skiers just sort of collapsed and exhausted on the track. Um, and in the background, and, uh, slightly out of focus, it says finish. Right. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's um, what I'd be like, you know, if I just cross-country skied across a mountain. Ugh. I mean, I'll, I'll repeat one of his great stories. So there was a situation where he was, he and many other photographers or a group of other photographers were supposed to photograph a uh, an on-stage discussion between Ronald Reagan and uh, Gorbachev. And they came into the venue and there was the stage and there were two chairs. Uh, the guys would sit in the chairs and they'd have their translators standing next to them on either side. But the chairs were separated by like 12 feet. And um, there was no way you were going to get a good shot. So what happens is all of these photographers, one by one, went up to the stage with their light meters to say, they needed to get a light reading. And while they were there, they slightly nudged the chairs closer together. And then the next guy would come up and they'd nudge the chairs closer together. By the time the event started, the, ch- the chairs were touching. <laughs> and, <laughs> and nobody was any the wiser. And because of that, they got the picture of Reagan and Gorbachev together, literally together on the stage. So, um, you know, anybody who's been doing this level of work for as many years as David has, has a lot of stories to tell. Yeah. Actually, I've just done a Google image search on David Burnett impeachment, and he has indeed become the story with his absolutely amazing looking camera. Um, yeah, so, that's, the, that's the Arrow Liberator. Yeah. So, OK, so if people go and, and look for this, actually, there's a nice uh, DP review there. So if you can imagine like a box brownie, only someone has given it like a lens that almost covers the entire the entire entire front of the camera that thing is what a lens it's a big lens yeah definitely but i love it i really do i'll, I'll stick a link in the show notes here to the dp review article they have on them um they have oh, it's such a beautiful camera as well actually they have a close-up uh-huh. of, of the camera itself it's a, a a real piece of art as well as being a tool, obviously, but it's... No, it is. And John Minix, who makes these cameras, or let's say remakes these cameras, is, I mean, he's a, you know, he's got a background in cabinetry. He's just a very, he's a great photographer and a great woodworker. He's got both sets of skills, so it That's... works out really well. 
Yeah, so and um, you're saying Graflex is, is what these cameras were originally. So they would have been, I guess, large format film cameras. Yeah, it's a the, this it's, it's an odd camera. It's this particular Graflex was like three and a quarter by two and a half was the image area, and what John does, and it's and it's a reflex in that it actually has a mirror. So you you look down. Uh, you look down into the mirror through the lens like you would with a DSLR or, yeah. let's say, a, um, a, a Roloflex or something like that. And um, uh, what John does is he takes the backs off and he converts them to take a standard 4x5 back. So you don't get a full 4x5 image like you would on a real 4x5 camera. It's a little bit smaller than that. Right. But um, that means that you then have the whole world of different backs to use. I have Polaroid backs. I have Fuji backs. I have roll film backs. I can shoot 120 film on it in a variety of formats and so forth. So um, that's the conversion. And then he, you know, he puts the new bellows on and he, uh, uh, you know, brings the shutter up to date to the extent that you can. Because the arrow... Right. Um, the Aero Ektar, most most large format lenses actually are mounted in a shutter. So you actually have a shutter that holds the lens, and then you have a shutter. Well, the 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 Aero Ektar is too large for any shutter, hmm. so you need a camera that has a focal plane shutter. And this Roloflex has a cloth uh, focal plane shutter, uh, just like oh. the old Speed Graphics do. And so you are using the cloth shutter. Um, and they're old, so they don't, you know, if it's, if you set it for a 500th of a second, you're lucky if you get a 250th. Right, you know? yeah, so it could be that yeah. accurate or that quick. Well, and they're, and they're just, you know, the springs are old and, and all that. So, um, and you're you know, saying many backs are possible. So you just clip off the back and put a different back on. So is there, are there digital backs you could throw onto this thing to get like, you know, gigapixel images or whatever? What, what you've got is there are a number of people who make, um, it's called something like a scanning back. So imagine if you took a um, a regular 35 millimeter camera mm-hmm. and you attach it to the back of this thing. Well, you, you're not going to cover the whole area. So imagine, though, if you could slide that left, right, up, down. So each one of the images would be one quarter of the area. Yes. Right? So you can get a digital back. Not that's this size, because I don't think anybody makes a four by five digital back for less than, you know, millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands. Two, yeah. yeah, but if you got a you know a Fuji digital back or a or a um um Hasselblad or something like mm. that, then you could, you know, get a reasonably large image that you could then move around in the area of the image plane. Um yeah. and so people do that. There's a way to capture it that way. Wow. It's, um, I'm going to show my nerd here, but uh, if anyone is a fan of Star Wars, your ears will have pricked up like mine did the moment someone said the word Graflex. <laughs> because do you know what a lightsaber I, I, is? Yeah, but I don't know the, I don't know the uh, Star Wars reference. So Graf- a Graflex flash is actually what is the handle of a lightsaber is a Graflex flash with a few bits and bobs well stuck onto it. That's interesting because I have one of those. I have one for my speed graphic. <laughs> well, there you go. It, so it look it does. You, if you take the head off, you know the the yeah. uh, the reflector head off, it does look like a lightsaber. You're right. It is a lightsaber. So a friend of uh-huh. mine is is an uber uber nerd who who likes to have build his own props and stuff. And so he did his research and discovered that the actual lightsabers in the actual 1979 film were Graflex flashes with a few adjustments made. So he bought one and recreated the prop. And so what you have is an actual lightsaber. It won't kill maybe anyone. It's gone up in, maybe it's gone up in value since I got it then. I'll have to find out. <laughs> yeah. Sell, sell it to one of my Star Wars fans. There you there go. go. So that's yeah. a little bit of Star so anyway, Wars it's, a, it's just a great camera because it has, like I say, it, it's got a reflex, which is a, you know, one of the things about uh, a large format camera, of course, is that up, down, left, and right are all reversed. And that makes it a bit of a pain. Um, when you put the um, when you put the reflex viewer on, I think if I remember correctly, it's up, down, or now correct. Left and right are still backwards, but it's, it's at least half right. So um, as, as he's looking down into the camera... He is seeing the person's head at the top of the image, so that that much is not. He is. That's right. Yeah, but left and right are reversed. Are reversed. And he's got, and okay. it's it, you know it's a ground glass. It's like a regular ground glass, and there's a reflex mirror below it. And so, 
when you know you you wind up the shutter you know cocking the shutter is like three or four different steps oh um, and then you you release the shutter which of course um uh the lens is already preset the aperture is preset and all that so the the uh, mirror comes up out of the way, just as it does in an SLR. Mirror comes out of the way. The Klaus shutter goes kerplunk because it rolls and, you know, exposes the film and then covers it again. And then the mirror goes back down. Actually, the mirror doesn't go back down. You have to manually put the mirror back down. Oh, <laughs> but right. It, you know, it makes quite a bit of noise, this camera. It's a big kerplunk sound, you know. Cool. It's, it's great. So it's, obviously... Uh, it's a lot of fun. Obviously, then, this is not a snapshot sort of camera this is the kind of camera that is going to force you to slow right down to plan ahead to be very careful to capture as Cartier Bresson said the decisive moment because if you miss it you're now cranking the the, the mirror back into the right place you're I mean you're, you have a lot of work to do before you get to fire again yeah well the good news is that a a, a, a Graflex film holder is, you know, two-sided. So you can hold two sheets of film. So you can take one, you can put the dark slide in, take it out, flip it over, put it back in, take the dark slide out. Now you're ready for another picture if you cock the shutter. If you cock the so, yeah. yeah, it's it's fairly common with this camera because this camera is designed to be more, the, the liberator, part of Aero Liberator is that you're liberated from the tripod. Because right. if you look at some of these pictures, you'll see David is hand holding it um, and has a big, like I say, a big strap. Um, yeah, he's sort of cradling camera. it with two hands and looking down into it is, is what I see from the impeachment. Yeah. And um, so, um, yeah, so you have the reflex viewer um, and you're, yeah, you're looking down into it. Oh, I was going to say, the, so you get all the different backs and it's just a great, uh, oh, so, you know, yes, you get the decisive moment, but you'll often, if you're doing a portrait or someone, you'll, one, one would typically uh, take two shots, but you have another bag you carry with you of more film plates. So you might go out with 12 film holders. That gives you a total of 24 exposures for the day. For the um, day, until you go back, right. So you're definitely going to go plan. back to your car and, and find more film holders. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, you might shoot. I mean, if you shoot 24, 24 shots of four by five in a day, you've had a busy day. And, Okay, so you, these the the film is loaded in these film holders in advance. So is that the kind of thing you can you can get handed to you, or is that the kind of thing where you have to pre prepare the film somehow yourself, or do you, you get then you do it yourself unless you're unless you're so important that you have an assistant who loads your film for you? But um, even I think even David Burnett does his own film loading. And would so. it be color or or black and white or you could can, it be yeah, color color or black and white doesn't matter. There you know uh, Kodak still makes Portra, I think one hundred and four hundred. Uh, there's some Fuji Fuji color four by five. There's a lot of four by five black and white, Tri X, uh, uh, HP five plus. So there are a lot of different film choices in four by five. And do you have to develop it yourself or can you you know you can't get out with one error photo. Yeah, what? I, yeah, that's right. Um, there are a few labs here in the U.S. at least that still develop four by five. I do my own four by five black and white. Um, rarely do I shoot color, and I send that to a lab uh, here in California. Um, but um, yeah, I like I like doing it myself, and I've been doing my own printing too, so it makes a lot of fun. And I presume one of the advantages is that you can print this good and big. Yeah. Yeah, although, you know, if you look at the new digital cameras, you know, with, you know, 42 megapixel sensors or 80 megapixel sensors and things like that, mm. um, you're getting as resolution, as good a resolution from today's high-end digitals as you are by these 4x5s because, yes, you get good resolution, but by the time you uh, shoot it, process it, print it, um, you're – you know, you're going through a few generations, whereas the digital, you're looking essentially at the original image until you mess it up. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think anybody shoots four by five for the for the high resolution eight by ten. Yeah, a lot of people are shooting eight by ten film because of the extraordinary resolution. But let's face it, that's four times the area of a four by five sheet of film. Yes. Uh, and and imagine carrying around an eight by ten camera. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. I don't that's think the there's such thing as a as an eight by ten liberator unless you have very very no. strong arms. Right, that's right. Or or it liberates you because you have an assistant carry it for you. But um, 
yeah, I mean, you, you load the stuff up and um, uh, yeah, I don't think it's resolution. I think it's the look because if you think about it, you know, a, a lens that's, you know, 178 millimeters or something like that, the lens has a particular look. And that look of the lens doesn't really change whether it's on a small image or a large image, but um, but the overall look of the image does. Um, it's, it's hard to describe. I don't even know how to describe it, but if you look at, you know, images that were shot four by five, they're quite different. And of course, you know, you can put on a, a a 90 millimeter lens on a four by five camera and that's quite a wide angle, right? That's a quite a wide angle. So different. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just think of, you know, that's like a, that would be like about a 35 millimeter lens on a, uh, on a, on a 35 millimeter camera. Yeah. Very interesting. So if if people want to explore um, David's work, is there like a book you'd recommend people buy or do you think just go to the web page or? That's a good question. I think I would just go to the web page. There's so much stuff there, but you can also find videos. Uh, I would do a video search for him. And uh, of course, many articles, a couple of places that are really interesting. I'm just going to recommend for people who are interested in this type of thing over on Facebook. um, There is a group. Let me see what it's called here. It's called. Where is it? Uh, Could you give me the URL for the show notes as well? Okay, Uh, I will do that. And it's this is called Dancing with Speeds, the Aero Ektar Squad. And it's a group of about. How many people? 933 members. And everything in this Facebook group is shot with an Aero Ektar lens on different cameras, but Aero Ektar lens. Hmm. And then there is another group which I recommend, which is called, uh, where is it called? The, 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 the big camera turn dancing. Mm-hmm. Oh, the large format, the large format photographer society. And these are all great images shot on large format. A lot of them using uh, Aero Ektar lenses or other lenses. Because people in, in in the large format world, you know, people who do that are crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we all are. I mean, why would you want to shoot a picture? We can only shoot a couple of pictures a day. You have to wait and develop them and then print them and blah, blah, blah. It's just, you know, it's a real pain. So... Why not experiment? Why not try some old lens that was made in the 1890s or a $50 lens that you got from Russia? I mean, I take lenses. I took one lens and I, a 50 millimeter lens from Russia. I took, removed the front element, took it out, turned it over and put it back on because it, it just made some crazy effects. Um, it's like, it's like a lens baby that you make yourself. So it's a lot of fun. But you'll yeah. see people are trying all sorts of things. And I will send you the URLs for the show notes. Yeah, please please do. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, I guess, the lesson to take away from today, apart from the fact that I'm going to keep a much closer eye out um, for this guy's work. And actually, now that you mentioned the impeachment, I actually do remember a lot of people talking about the weird guy with the big old camera. So it's lovely to get a bit more colour on that. But the lesson I'm taking away from today is don't follow the rules. Have a go. Don't be afraid. Try everything. And so what if most of it doesn't work out? When it does work out, you're going to have some really darn cool photographs. That's, you know, that's a really good point, Bart. I think um, I think people should do that. They shouldn't be afraid. And you made the, the great point, which is it's not always going to work. You know, you put a weird lens on, you tried a weird effect, and your first few tries are going to be disasters. You're not going to want to show them to anybody. But there are so many possibilities. Um and uh, yeah, experiment, have fun. I remember a family member asking me once, you know, but I was at the same party you were at, and you have these ten amazing photographs. How did you do that? Said, well, I shot five hundred. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, I shoot. I shoot a lot of dance performances, and people say, "Oh, god, you got you got like a dozen great shots." I said, "Yeah, I shot over four thousand images from one performance." <laughs> that's exact exactly true. Um, I'm going to see, hang on a second here. Uh, no, never mind. I was going to send you this one link because there's a picture on a website called PDN Pulse and it's a picture of Burnett. I'll send this in the URLs to, in the links too, because it shows, it, it's one of these selective color images. So Burnett's in color, but everything else is black and white. And it shows all the photographers taking a picture of Burnett. It's just <laughs> great. It's just great. Excellent. Actually, I have, um, 
one of my passions is railway photography. And there's mm-hmm. one guy whose work I adore because he, like, when there's a famous steam train doing the rounds, there will be, you know, a hundred photographers gathered at a famous turn on the track or whatever it was a good view. And they'll have come hours in advance with stepladders and God only knows what to try to get the shot. And this guy goes back about 500 yards behind them all and takes a picture of the steam train with its admirers. Yes. And he's on his own. He has no worries about trying to get someone in front of his view or whatever. And he actually comes out with the amazing photographs because everyone else has the cliched shot. They're all, you know, 500 of them in a row, 500 identical shots, 500 boring shots. And he comes away with this amazing photograph because he just doesn't do what everyone else is doing. Yeah. And it, it yeah, takes so, a, so, a, so often the behind the scenes shot is the one that wins. Yeah. That's not unusual. Yeah. Or not being afraid to stand out, right? I mean, how many of us would have the courage to walk into a Senate hearing room with a ye olde camera <laughs> that's, you know, made by a woodworker? Yeah. Would you have the, the... That takes courage, frankly. That takes a certain amount of brazenness to just go in and not I, care. I, yeah, I couldn't do it, but I'm not David Burnett. And David Burnett can do that. That's, yeah. you know, that that comes with experience and... Um, Confidence, I and, guess. And confidence and just, you know, attitude. David's at this point, he says, you know, I, you know, he, he's doing, he, you know, he, he's still making a living with it, but he's also having a good time. There's no doubt about it. It fascinates me, actually, that someone who's taking such eccentric and wonderfully creative pictures is doing so commercially. And I'm sure he sells fine art prints as well, but not purely as a fine art photographer, as an actual you know, journalistic photographer. There, there yeah. cannot be many people who, who who are like that. That He has to be a one of a kind. Yeah, I'll have to ask him because I don't know. I mean, he may not want to tell me, but I don't know how much, you know, what percentage of his income is from prints versus uh, magazines and newspapers or whatever. Um, but, you know, a lot and a lot of his old images, of course, are still being licensed. Um and he he does he is a partner in a in a, an agency, uh, and that agency does all the licensing. Um, and so you know if you've got you know fifty or sixty years of work, fifty or fifty five years of work in your portfolio, um, you've got a lot of images that are still valuable today, or some that that maybe you didn't know were valuable that have now become valuable because of who's in them. You know? Yeah, I guess you. I mean, there's going to be licenses forever for stuff like the the. The Apollo astronauts, the Bob Marley. I mean, th- those images were never going to cease being interesting. And the fact that he doesn't take ordinary portraits, but, you know, really catchy ones like this. I'm just flicking through his portrait gallery here. Senator Ted Kennedy, the amazing yeah. portrait. Like the lighting is probably textbook wrong. It's probably an example of what a textbook <laughs> would tell you. Do not do this. Um, because the only bit we see is a shaded side of Senator Kennedy's face. But it works supremely well. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there are a whole bunch of of images of people who are famous in U.S. political history. I'm not sure that they would mean anything to people outside the U.S. But, um, you know, pictures of people. Um, there was a guy, Joe Wilson. Joe Wilson, I think, was an ambassador during the George W. Bush administration, and he was quite critical of Bush and Cheney at the time. And what happened was his wife, Wilson's wife, uh, Valerie Plame, was a CIA agent. Yes. But it was secret. familiar with her, actually. I, had to, I, yeah. I didn't know who her husband was. Okay. I knew he, he yeah, was Wilson, yeah, Wilson was her husband. And Cheney outed her. Cheney actually exposed her name in public, which turned out to put a number of, you know, operatives around the world at, at serious risk of being killed and so forth. And it was quite a scandal here. But there is a portrait if you come across it in his stuff. It's a picture of Joe Wilson in Joe Wilson's living room. And the light is like like film noir. It's black and white. And there's a slash of light and shadow over his head. But in the background is his wife, Valerie Plame, in her pajamas. And, you know, the story behind it is, David was set up. He was sent out on an assignment to get a portrait of Joe Wilson, and he set up the shot, and he set up the whole thing. And then in the middle of it, she just walked into the room in her pajamas. 
It's, and that's the image. <laughs> it's the third yeah. last image in the gallery named Portraits. Oh, okay. You found it. I found, found it. it. So, good. And the look good, on, good, on, good. on Joe Wilson's face, he's obviously not expecting his portrait to be taken as his wife in pajamas is in the background. It's, it's Right. I mean, isn't it, isn't, it a, isn't it a gorgeous image, though? It, it's wonderful. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe, but... It, Again, very unusual lighting, and the the effect of of the lens is very, it's timeless. I mean, I, if yeah. you if you were to tell me that was shot in the fifties, I'd believe you. If you were to tell me it was shot in the eighties, I'd believe you. But it yeah. must have been shot a few years probably, ago. It was probably shot around uh, two thousand five. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, good. It just yeah, you know, just some. It will. I think it's good because it opens up your eyes to different ways to do everything, particularly portraits. I mean, if you look and you say, okay, I want to shoot portraits. So you look at some of these, you say, you know, I never imagined shooting a portrait that way, but look how interesting it is. And, um, you know, I, I'm working with a group, in, again, in my local photo club during this pandemic period, you know, we're doing everything online mm-hmm. and we have a group called the Portrait Special Interest Group. And we, one of the things we do is look for portraits by other people that we like and we try to analyze them and figure out why we like them. And a lot of times Burnett's uh, portraits are ones that we look at. I can see why. Uh, Gene Cernan, the astronaut, is another one that stands out at me here. It's the fourth one in that uh, gallery of portraits. Very yeah. striking shot. Um, he's looking at us side on. Um, and again, mm-hmm. extremely shallow depth of field. Yeah. And this was one, I think, that was in that uh, retrospective of Apollo 11. Well, in this case, it wouldn't have been Apollo 11. It would have been Apollo 17 yeah. or 18. Yeah, but I think, I, think, well, I think CERN was in the earlier missions too. Ah, possibly. I think he, was, possibly. he was the last man on the moon, but I think, I think CERN might have been – he might have been the one guy who had to stay behind and couldn't go, couldn't go down to the moon's surface. Well, no, that was Michael had Collins. As an Irishman, oh, I, that I, I won't See, miss you're... that. All right, all right. You got a better memory, of course, being Irish. Well, no, to us, Michael <laughs> Collins is is a political figure yeah. who was assassinated a hundred years ago in the Irish Civil War. But um, right, right. You know, yeah. But anyway, you remember the name, yeah. So anyway, so it wasn't certain. Okay. Anyway, so he found all the guys, and um, that was part of that. Uh, I think it was part of the retrospective because I think even though he wasn't maybe on that mission, I think he was active on the ground then as part of the mission, perhaps. He, I wonder if he Capcom because I know Capcom is always another astronaut. Um, could, yeah, yeah, it could be. Basically, you get an astronaut to talk to astronauts because they understand each other. That's right. That's right. Well, it was also in those days. In those days, astronauts were also pilots, so you had to you had to talk pilot language to, from pilot to pilot. You know. Yeah. In fact, military anyway. test pilots—they were extremely, extremely talented individuals. Yeah. So anyway, if you're interested in portraits, just go take a look at David's and you'll you'll be inspired of ways to think outside the box. Yeah, definitely. I have to say, Doug, this was extremely good fun. Um, I also, so we have, we'll have a link in the show notes to the various Facebook groups you mentioned. We have the link to DaveBurnett.com. Uh, but I also want to link to your work because you're also, you know, as you say, you're a full-time amateur photographer now. Um <laughs> So your work is over at DougK.com, which is K-A-Y-E. And I have to say, I've always been a big fan of color. Um, Maybe because I'm slightly colorblind that I adore color so much, which sounds weird. But what immediately strikes me is that when you choose to use color, you you go all in on the color, um, which really speaks to me. Um, Particularly the, 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 the gallery creative, there's some very creative stuff in there, but again, very, very strong, vibrant color. Um, I'm glad you like that. But yeah, so I, I definitely want people to check that out as well. And so I want you to look, I want you to look down at the last gallery on my page, platinum and palladium prints for other photographers. Okay. This is, I just got to put in a plug for what I've been doing for the last six months. Um, being stuck at home mostly. Hmm. Um, I've always wanted to learn platinum printing. And so I have started doing that. Um, and I just love the plus process of printing platinum. It's um, it's technically a little tricky at first, but once you get past those technical issues, it's not bad. And if you'll see here, there's some interesting things I've been experimenting with, which is which called um, 
platinum and palladium over pigment. So you see there's some color images on that yeah, page. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you because my understanding of, of platinum is that it's basically I, I like an old silver-based process, but instead of it being silver nitride, it's a platinum-based platinum chemistry. And my understanding is that the big advantage is it has a much higher dynamic range than silver halides. Yeah, you get it's a couple of things. You get you get the very deep blacks from platinum, um, but it's also that the the emulsion is not encapsulated in under a layer of whatever that is on photographic paper. There's a there's a like a plastic or something that's over the photographic emulsion on most photographic papers. Hmm. For platinum, it's literally right on the surface. It's not even absorbed by the paper. It's sitting on the surface. So you get a very different look. It's one of the reasons why those of us who print in platinum usually don't frame our things in glass. We usually – we may varnish them or we may not even varnish them, but we have just the raw paper exposed so that you can really get – the texture and the richness of the blacks. But this this color technique is fascinating. I discovered it some somebody was started it a few years ago and I just read an article by him. And what you're doing is you're taking a regular color a digital color image mm-hmm. and you're you're converting it to CMYK color space. But then you're deleting the K channel. You're deleting the black channel. So all you have is the non-black colors. And right. you print that on you print that on the paper with an inkjet printer. So now you have this weird looking image that's got relatively relatively desaturated colors, but most importantly, there's no black and it's really a weird look. Then you coat that you coat the paper with platinum. You put your your regular negative. You have a, a digital negative. It's called a negative made from the original print, and you expose that into the platinum over the color you develop the platinum and you end up with these images like you see here which are a mix of platinum blacks but inkjet color right so, so i presume with the black taken out the color loses most of its um edges and it's sort of it will become quite vague and then you re-put all the edges there using the platinum that's a good description good description yes and these images that you're looking at here, these are just iPhone shots of the print. So you're never going to get the full impact of how they look in real life. But the uh, the colors are pretty wild. I mean, I'm just learning. I'm still learning about what works with this techniques and what doesn't because a number of things look pretty bad. How hard is it to get it perfectly in register? I mean, that, that can't be straightforward. Yeah, it depends on the image because you've got to use – you can't use registration marks because they'll show up in the final version. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it depends on you, – you find details that allow you to line, align it. You'll see some of the images here have a fair amount of detail. And if you find something in one corner and something in an opposite corner, then you can just line them up. You're lining the, the, you're lining the negative up over the color image. The negative is a black and white negative that's full size and you're doing a contact print. So ah. you're lining it up. It's a contact – so the, the – um, uh, you got the color image covered with platinum, but the platinum at that point is somewhat translucent. So you can still see the image coming through the undeveloped or say the unexposed mm. platinum. Uh, so you can do it, but it's tricky. Also, what's interesting though, is that's part of the look. And if, if I make two prints, they'll be slightly different because the registrations are slightly different. Um, and in some cases it doesn't matter much. Uh, it's amazing how, how tolerant we are of color being a little off registration, but in some cases it makes a huge difference. So um, I, I think it's a fun technique because the lines are coming from the, from the, from the monochrome. It's almost like we painted slightly outside the lines if the register isn't perfect. And that's, that's something I don't think we as humans seem to mind very much. If someone colors a little bit outside the lines. Yeah, well, it's it's similar in some ways to these, um, you know, if you look at old images from the, um, from the 1800s, a lot of them were colored. They were, you know, people would take pastels and and color the images by hand on the prints. And it, it has somewhat, somewhat of a similar look to that, although there's, you can see here, there's quite a bit more saturation in some cases than that. But it's it's similar to literally adding color afterwards. It does remind me that there's, there's one, um, where it's, I'm not sure what kind of building it is, but it's some sort of building on, a, on an orange landscape. 
And it really reminds uh, me of a hand-coloured image from, you know, 150 years ago or so. Yeah, that was done by my friend Roxanne. And because um, one of the things I found is I can't keep printing my own stuff. I, can't, I have nothing to do with it. So I'm going around to other photographers and convincing them to send me their images for printing. And I send them back the prints because that way I don't have to find a place to keep them. <laughs> so, yeah, Roxanne's image is gorgeous. She does a lot of very, very creative things, both in camera and in Photoshop. Yeah, after the, there's 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 something to the look of those platinum prints that's that's distinctly different. In in the same way that if if, if you see someone doing portraiture with uh, a daguerreotype or something, it's distinctly different. It, it's not like a daguerreotype. It's again, it's distinctly different to a traditional silver print and it's distinctly different to, to a daguerreotype. I've never seen anything quite like it. I, I have to say I really do do enjoy it and the, the portraits are very striking. Yeah, well, and a lot of them are not my pictures, so that's why. <laughs> but um, Yes, the, but then yeah, don't, the, the, don't the, undersell the, yourself here. The art of, of, <laughs> of printing is it's as much of an art as the capturing of the original image. Well, that's... That's true. And, I'm, and I sometimes I think I'm a much better printer than I am photographer because I, I do love printing. I mean, I love the process of getting it just, just right. Uh, you know, it takes it takes many prints, many attempts to get these just right because the the contrast of platinum printing is very, very sensitive. The there's so much compression in the highlights that you have to be really careful. It's just a little teeny change in highlights can either blow them out or lose detail. Um, but there was one thing I was going to say about this. What was it? Uh, oh, oh, I know. And one of the things about these platinum prints that people often do because the, the brushing on of the emulsion, you can see all the brush marks. Hmm. A lot of people frame, frame them full size and keep the brush marks. That's a very trendy thing these days, which is to, you know, just put the whole frame, the whole, sorry, the whole piece of paper in a frame. Uh, or without cropping it to the image like you would normally do. I, I have to say I really like the, that sort of the the, the, the brushed edge. Um, it's yeah, it works for me actually. I think if I were to if I were to own one of these, I would want to I would want to hang them with the the edges still there. Yeah, a lot of fun. Anyway, so that's that's what's been keeping me busy. I love making these prints, and uh, as long as I have to stay home, that's what I'm going to be doing. Well, I don't want to wish for a longer pandemic. That seems like the wrong thing to do. <laughs> but I have to say you're being extremely productive and creative during these trying times. So that's, that is definitely something to take away from it. Doug, thank you ever so much uh, for giving your time. And thank you for putting up with the audio gremlins. Um, and as the listeners will have heard, we didn't manage to defeat the gremlins. But the content is so good, I have no doubt people will be will tolerate the occasional weird thing every two or three minutes. Very good. I hope uh, so. So, again, everything will be in the show notes, all the links to Doug's work and to Dave Burnett's work and to those Facebook groups mentioned. So uh, I think I will call it there and wish you the very best for the weekend. And again, thank you for your time. Thank you, Bart. It's been an absolute pleasure. I just want to thank Doug again for giving so freely of his time and to apologize to you, the listeners, again for the audio issues I really, really hope I get them sorted by the next interview I have to record because that definitely is suboptimal. Um, as I say, the content is superb. I hope you enjoyed the show despite the audio. Um, all of the stuff mentioned, all of the links, etc. will be in show notes at lets-talk.ie. While you're there, you will find some links to support the show. Everyone who has ever supported the show in any way Thank you ever so much. Um, and when I say anyone who's ever helped the show in any way, that includes all sorts of help, every sort of help. You know, tweeting about the show, Facebooking about the show, telling your actual friends in person. Not that we do much of that these days, but um, telling your friends over VoIP, Zooming your friends, whatever. Sharing the show via social media, video conferencing, the rare face-to-face meeting you have with the one or two people in your bubble... It is all greatly appreciated. It all really helps. And those of you who can and do support the show financially, obviously very much appreciated and thank you very much. Um, I need the show to break even for me to be able to continue to do it. It approximately is. So thank you very much to everyone who makes that so. Um, The easiest way to make a recurring contribution is by signing up as a patron on Patreon. 
There are two shows a month. You pledge an amount per show. So if you'd like to give me $5 a month, pledge two fifty. You get the idea. And if you'd like to make a one-off donation, the PayPal button is the simplest way to do that. So to everyone who has ever hit that PayPal button, thank you. And to everyone who supports me on Patreon, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I will draw a line under it there. Um, thanks again to Doug. I hope everyone is enjoying their summer despite the strange times we're in. And until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Looking for a podcast to get your geek on? Then listen to my favorite ladies podcast, The Three Geeky Ladies. Join Alyssa, Suze, and Vicky as they discuss tech products and other topics that caught their attention. The Three Geeky Ladies podcast on the MyMac Podcasting Network.